Good evening and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight we're fortunate enough to be speaking with Michael Longton from Rootenbrook Sheepdogs. Michael, we're picking who he thinks is asked the best question of the night and they will win a bag of Enduro high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Hey Michael, how are you going? Hey, you all right? Yeah, good, thank you. G'day mate, how's your morning been? Not too bad, not too bad. It's uh, it's not not blazing hot sunshine, but it's not raining at the moment. Uh, about eleven a.m. there, mate. Yeah, just bang on, yeah. Yeah, no, appreciate you giving us some time uh, early in the day, mate. And I know it's uh, sometimes a bit hard to get going afterwards, so um, <laughs> appreciate your time. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll pro probably with the uh, current heat wave, I'll probably not want to do a lot anyway. Oh, there you go. We, we, we're a good excuse. Yeah, exactly. Well, jump straight into it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do? Uh, yeah, um, I'm from uh, northwest England. Um, I run a beef and sheep farm on the edge of the Pennines, which is the hills that run up the middle of England. Um, about 500 sheep and about 50 cattle with the followers. Um, and a handful of dogs that uh, tend to work quite a bit and go trialing and whenever I can get away and don't have children usually because they don't <laughs> particularly like sitting in a field all day. Um, but yeah, no, I'd, um, yeah, that's about it really. And you had a long history in the area, mate? Uh, family has a long history, yeah. Um, my, I think that the first generation was my great granddad, um, and then my granddad, and then my dad, and then me. So I'm fourth generation to be doing it. I also the fourth generation with Timothy in the name as well, um, which doesn't really make a lot of difference. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and, and yeah. Apparently the um, yeah, me, me great granddad had a dog when he was in his teens, and there was a lord of the manor around here who also ran dogs, and his dog would miraculously disappear of a morning of a weekend that was a competition on and then appear later that day <laughs> apparently the lord of the manor wasn't keen on getting beaten by a teenager yeah right yeah that's some pretty cool history there mate so obviously um the it runs deep in in your roots there and was there ever an inkling that you didn't want to be a dogman or a stockman or a no no, no, pretty much. I remember in year eight at school or nine at school, you had to choose what GCSEs you did to finish your schooling off. Uh, and I had the choice. You get four options, or you did back then. It's probably all changed now because it's a long time ago. Um, and you got four options, and two of the options were foreign language, and one was German and one was French. And I remember quite definitely that I didn't want to do either of them because it wasn't going to help me in farming. Um, yeah. I, the, the school I went to actually did rural science. So it did add like a little farm and even does my eldest daughter goes there now and my middle daughter will be going there in September and it still has a farm there now. Um, so it had uh, agricultural GCSE. Um, and I, yeah, obviously I, I picked that one because that was what I was intending to do. And yeah, I, haven't done anything other than that, really. Yeah. Cool. Um, 
What were you going to no, say? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, so with a, a history so far at dogs, who inspired you more? Was it the grandfather, the great-grandfather, a neighbour? Um, I don't really think. around as a young fella and hearing all the yarns? I, just, I was just, I was always, you know, there was always dogs around and uh, I, I can remember when I was about seven, I went out with my dad and had a dog out uh, and I gave it come by or away, whatever command it was, and it did it and... I just couldn't stop laughing. I thought it was hilarious that this dog had done what I told it to do because that was the first time I ever had it happen. Um, so I didn't, didn't, I, I, yeah, until I could control my laughter, I didn't bother with a dog again until I was just, uh, I think I got my first one when I was 11, a, a pup off my granddad. Um, I wouldn't really, yeah, it, yeah. I don't, I don't know whether I'd say I was in, um, um, inspired to go into it because of a, certain member of my family or neighbor or anything but it was just always around and i enjoyed it and um yeah and then, yeah i just got got into it when i was old enough to to kind of do it myself rather than just watching dad because you know when, when i was little it was uh you know weekends were going dog running if i wanted to go dog running with dad then i did do and uh, i can remember i was never understood why after he'd run his dogs, he'd stay around and talk. And now I get the same with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Has your passion for your dogs come through to your kids? Yeah, um, yeah, I think so. I'm not 100% certain. My eldest, I gave her a dog when uh, for her 12th birthday, and that's just coming up two years ago now. Uh, and it was a pup. And... It's not ideal for a new person. It's quite yep. keen. Um, <laughs> so in hindsight, I'd have been better off finding a, you know, an old schoolmaster dog, as they call them, that would teach her the ropes whilst she was less uh, experienced. Um, but the, all three of them, I, I had a bitch called Maid who uh, sadly died this year, um, and I thought she was going to be a brilliant dog she was half sister to ian brownlee's mo and um gus that he won the supreme with um and i went through nurseries and did quite well getting prizes and winning a few and she was gonna i thought she was gonna be as good a, as good a trial dog as i've ever had and, and then anyway something happened she came in season at the wrong time something put her off and rather than wanting to go on an outrun away from home particularly she she'd prefer to go and get back in the car so that was that but at home she'd do everything and anything that i asked her to do and kids all three of them from the age of i think caitlin the youngest would have been five or six and she'd take her out and they'd take her out and they'd send her off on an outrun and she'd set off and then halfway up the outrun they'd give her the opposite flank and the dog would just straight across never even thought about doing anything else because she was being asked to do it um so they've all they've all had a bit of a go at, at something um yeah i'm not you know i'm not i'm not going to pressure them into it if they want to do it it's fine but if they don't then again that's fine as well so but it's nice that they are showing plenty of interest and it's interesting there like a bloke is capable with the dog as yourself um and your daughter having this dog that's got all go in it how how do you help her there do you get involved more with her or do you stand back and let her learn a bit herself? Like, um, 
well, she's a teenager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Question kind of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, she's a teenager, so uh, getting the point across so that she understands it uh, is not the easiest at the moment. Um, I've, I've asked my dad to take over for a little bit because I don't know whether I'm just a bit too, it's a bit too close. Um, you know, parent, children, they always, you know, even even when I started, my dad would be telling me things and he would obviously know better than me, but I'd kind of dig my heels in at times and, and not want to do what he's suggesting or want to try and do something my way just because that's what teenagers do. Um, and then if somebody else said it, then I might take it on board a bit more. So yeah. I'm hoping that when her granddad comes to help her later today, that she'll just take a bit more on board and uh, and then be able to go forward. She she has big plans because she wants to um, she wants to run at the national next year. Um, yeah, we are. Good on her. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, and she's going to win the supreme within five. <laughs> yeah. she's already told you that oh yeah yeah she told me this recently yeah yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, she's training that dogs i'm gonna beat you anyway exactly yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah but no this this bitch i think if me or dad had it uh then it would be a very good bitch uh and it, it will you know between us we probably will take it out and try and help her out with it when she's not around to uh, further its training um, yeah. but yeah, no, she's, she, yeah, she's, she's definitely keen, but I say it's the teenage stage where keenness and keenness don't always go hand in hand. And yeah, she'll, she's, I'm sure she'll end up doing something, but she has, she has these ideas. She wants to be a teacher and a vet. So two yeah. days a week, she'll be a teacher and two days a week, she'll be a vet. <laughs> How old is she? Uh, she's just coming up 14. Yeah, cool. Yeah. The world's at her fingertips, mate. Yeah. And, and you mentioned a bit earlier about um, when you were at trials and your dad used to hang around and you could understand why and, and now you do the same. But you had the luxury of hanging around with and, and grew up with a lot of people that you trial with now that are some of your best mates. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that would have helped you strive for a bit more as a young fella as well, competing against your friends? Um, yeah. Um, well, like... I went to school with Ricky, who you interviewed a little while ago. Um, so I've known him since I was 11. So I've known him 30 years now. Um, and then I was when I was on one of his dog as a young handler, I was on with Kevin Evans and Billy Common. And the Irish one was a fellow called Tom Carpenter, who is still... All four are still trialling, but just obviously one's at the top of his game constantly. Um and then I think uh, Billy's been in the team quite a few times recently and in the past I have been. And Tom Carpenter, I think, has been once or twice. But he's certainly still running at Nationals. So it's nice that all four are still uh, doing something with the dogs, at least. Um, yeah, but no, that, you know, yeah, having uh, Ricky, there's a, there's a group of us now that are all around here. There's Sam Hay and uh, Chris Taylor and one or two others that are all within half an hour of each other that we that meet up with occasionally to have dogs out or have a barbecue or whatever. Um, and then obviously there's people further afield that are, you know, an hour away who we still socialise with when we, when we do get to trials further away, when we're all together. Um, yeah. And, and just, yeah, just 
chew the fat when we when we're there yeah. and talk down boringly, like Ricky was saying to you. It was just constant. I think uh, if you don't have an interesting dogs, then the night can be quite boring. But uh, if you <laughs> yeah. do, then it's all right. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier your father gave you your first dog. Uh, kind of, yeah, it was my granddad heard a bitch called Becca, uh, and the father was one of my dad's dogs, Cap, uh, and I got one of them, and my dad got one of them as well, and they couldn't have been more different. They were, um, my bitch with Jip, she was just ideal for a new starter. She would do whatever I asked her to, she was a bit weak, she weren't the best shedder, but she never, she'd try. She might get stuck occasionally on sheep if they were a bit heavy. She might not come through for the shed when I'd got a gap. But she was ideal for me, whereas my dad's dog, Rob, was just a powerhouse. He would do anything. He would shift anything. And if we'd have gotten the other way around, I don't know whether they'd have turned out anywhere near as well as either of them did. Yeah. Um, just, you know, I spent a lot, a lot of time with that bitch before, you know, before she was starting to train her um taking her for walks and teaching her to sit, lie down and stay and things like that. Um, and yeah, she was just ideal for me at that, at that time. And like, you know, I got to the national and, and ran at the national, I think it was 98, it must've been at Moncaster. And I got around, I was only 17 at the time and I got around, uh, all around the course was a good run. And I would think I was standing third in the national at that, where it got to that point. And then I got into the shedding ring, made a few gaps. I think I had three goals at getting a gap and making the gap and doing it. And then she just wouldn't come through. So I ended up called for standard. But everybody told me afterwards that the the good bit was that I was making the gaps, even if the dog wasn't coming through, because yep. they weren't easy to make gaps with. And, and other handlers who were more experienced couldn't even get a gap. So, yeah, it, it wasn't ideal at the time because I was in a bad mood, but it was. <laughs> But, you know, and competitive spirit taken over, and but yeah, no, it, she was about ideal for for a new starter. Yeah, beautiful. And there's a question here from. Dinner Wednesday. Yep. Uh, yeah. Do you like a particular type or style of dog? Um. Yeah, a difficult one. Um, an effective it, one. He's used an example here, he goes, um, for example, a dog that is wanting to always come forward as opposed to a dog that needs to be asked to come up all the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 definitely. I'd rather uh, have to hold a dog back than, than uh, G it up to get it moving things. Um, I think, um, yeah, I think the, the, it's a lot easier to, to make a dog pace after it. You know, if it comes and it's too quick, it's a lot easier to hold it back than it is to get them coming if they're not coming. Because if they if they're not if they don't want to come forward, then once the sheep stood still, it's just a vicious cycle of well, the sheep aren't moving, so the dog's locked on with its eye or whatever and doesn't want to move. Whereas if they are already moving, it might carry on. But yeah, I think you, you need something that's always coming forward whenever you whenever you need it and and. And yeah, hold it back rather than bring it on. Yeah. Beautiful. Awesome. I like a similar style myself. What are those ones there, Laura? Uh, more training questions. More training questions? All right. We'll get on to those a little bit later then, eh? Yeah. Do you want to 
us a little bit about the current team you've got there of dogs? Oh, well, um, at the moment, the two that I have, I have one that's called Gwyn. Uh, I had, well, uh, I had a dog called Todd, uh, and his kennel mate was Don, and they both were the, a similar age, and they both came to the end of their working life at a similar time. Uh, so I was kind of without a dog. Um, so I ended up going uh, into Wales and buying one off um, Bryn Davies, Darwin Davies' dad, uh, which is Gwyn. Uh, and he's nothing like anything I've had before. He's smooth-coated. Um, and that's, yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of smooth coats. I'd, I'd much rather a rough. Um, I think they work differently. Yeah. Um, I think that the smooth coats are more flankers, move faster. But then when the pressure's on, I think generally speaking, I know it's a generalisation, it's not always true. Uh, generally speaking, when the pressure's on, they will be more likely to do something that they shouldn't do, like grip. Um Whereas I think a, a rough coat, they're more line dogs, so they don't flank as wide, as fast, and they're always coming onto the sheep. So um, years, years and years ago when I won, I won the National with Monty, he never flanked in his life. Not proper. You know, he'd get behind the sheep. On a little field, he was horrendous. Couldn't do anything with him. But on a big field, we had 400 yards and 150-yard drive, cross drive and all the rest of it. He'd get behind him, he'd tuck in, and he'd just fetch him. And if you give him a flank, he'd lean. He'd just move his head. He wouldn't do anything else. But on a big field with five sheep, they, they respected him enough to do what what he wanted. And, and you know, he was he was a very successful dog at the National. Um, like the, the year after I uh, first got in the team, I, I actually won the National with him the, the 2004. The following year, I was drawn out to run at number one in the National with him. Um, um, I don't particularly like number one, even though I've had it plenty of times in the subsequent. <laughs> I think I've been number one five or even six times since then, uh, and right. my dad's never been, my dad's never been number one in his life. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but he could just. I, I say that the year after, because I'd won it, I only took him to the national, so I had two to run because I'd never run two at the national before. And I was kind of umming and ahhing about selling him. And then uh, I ran him through nurseries, did all right. Ran him in opens, got enough points to run him. I was like, right, well, I'll run him at the National. I'll run him first. And then my older dog, Moss, which was his father, um, I thought, then I'll have a better chance with him. So I ran him. I had a brilliant, brilliant run. I won it by 13 points from the nearest person. Oh, yeah. Uh, and... It just it went like it was better than I could ever have dreamed it would do. You know, it was just one of them perfect moment, perfect sheep. Everything was just right for him to do it that day. Um, and the following year, because I thought, well, defending champion here, I'd better uh, put some effort in. So I took him out to training, and he ran absolutely horrendously. Following year, I didn't do any training with him. I just worked him on the farm, and he was reserve at the national. So he was the sort of dog that. He had it, it was there, but it needed work. Yeah. If he didn't have the work, then he wasn't wasn't half the dog. Anyway, going completely off tangent of where the original question was there. <laughs> um, 
And then, uh, yeah, so I've got uh, Gwyn, and he took me a while to settle in with him. It, like, I got him when he was just just short of two or just around about two, and he was about fully broke. And uh, But he was very pushy. Like, if I told him to lie down, I think he took the lie as the end of come by, so he'd take a bit of a flank. <laughs> Uh, he was just desperate to do everything. And uh, I have had rather a lot of um, Mickey taken out of me because I changed his lie down command to just down. So I'd just shout down really loud and he'd take it. And he, so all my mates obviously started just taking the piss and it, just <laughs> shout at me all the time. Um, so, but it worked and it, uh, it took me. Yeah, it did take me a year or two to just get on board with what he was doing, uh, how he was working, so that I could get the best out of him. And then I have been like reserved for the English team with him. The last two nationals has been so I'm on board with him, but not quite got to the international with him yet. And then the other ones, one I bought uh, last, well I bred it. It's out of made and got by Billy Commons grit. Uh, sold it to a friend. Uh, got it back to square it up for him a little bit before nursery started. Still had it at the start of nursery, said, can I run it a bit? He said, yeah, 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 no problem. He had one of mine and he ran it as well down there. And um, I started getting prizes with it and he said, well, do you want to do you want to run it through nurseries? I said, well, I do, but I don't want to end up having potentially a decent nursery season thinking I've got a fair dog here, wanting to buy it. And you saying, well, I need it for work or whatever, you know, I want it back sort of thing. So I said, I'll either, we'll either do a deal or you'll have it back soon sort of thing. Anyway, I left him to it and he, he rang me a few days later and said, oh, you can, you can, yeah, you can buy it. So we did a deal and then I went on and I won the nursery final, English nursery final with him. Uh, that was the first trial that he'd won. He'd, he'd had prizes and seconds at nearly every trial through the nurseries with me, but that was the first one. That, that was about the point where all the work that I'd put in, in the pre since I got him in September, like that was uh, end of February. So from September to February, all the work that I put in, training him to make him what I wanted him to be, kind of got to the point where it was like, there it is, we've got there. And then uh, I ran him in a few opens in May to try and qualify him for the national. Um, and I actually won four and got... I think I got second in one and a fourth, uh, all in quite quick succession. So it, it just it, it just settled, and yeah. he, he's he has quite. A, I think he has quite a lot of potential. I say he's, he's only just over two. It'll be two two and a half nearly, uh, and I'll be running him at the national in two weeks. Um, and I'm hopeful that he will do something reasonably decent. Oh, well, good luck in two weeks, mate. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> what are you looking for in your own line? Rough coats. Rough coats. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. Um, I don't know. I just when I, there aren't as many rough coats around as there were. That's for sure. You know, the, I think the the genetics must be that the smooth is dominant over the rough so when you do breed them together you get a couple of generations and the smooth just takes over sort of thing 
Um, so I'm, I'm kind of struggling to find them, if you know what I mean. There's, there's yeah. one or two. Like, uh, I saw Billy Commons grit for the first time over in Ireland at Gillall, where the world trial will be next year. The international was there in 2018. Uh, and he just he went and he just had a really sweet run around the course, but then couldn't pen him. So he missed out on the Supreme on... I think he, I think he was like within ten or fifteen points of the cut off without a pen or a single, um, and I just really, really liked the look of the dog. Uh, so I went and used him. Only ended up getting two pups out of the litter, and so he said, "Oh, well, you can come back." So I went back, and and that's the litter that I've ended up with. Uh, Max, the young one that I've got for the national this time, and my daughter's dog, and another one that I've still got here as well. I don't, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's difficult though because I said that obviously I'd only seen the dog once properly before I went and used him, um, and there's just not a number of dogs around that that are rough coated that for, for for what I kind of look for. Yep. Um, so I, yeah, I'm kind of I have one in mind that I am. I did use, but then didn't end up with pups. Uh, and I will use again on a different bitch. Um, but that that one is local. Uh, it's only about a 45-minute, 50-minute drive away. Um, so I do see it quite a bit at trials, and he is a, a really nice sort of a dog. So hopefully it's it's more, yeah, flowy. I like, the, you know, Monty, me for, for national winner, he was kind of described by a few people as well, uh, a magic carpet, the way he worked behind the sheep. So he just kind of just flowed gently behind him, never doing anything quick, just nice and easy. And it's kind of like that sort of method that I'm kind of looking for generally, I think. Are you seeing any smooth coated ones that you're actually liking or just... They just don't do it for you. Um, yeah, I, I have done. Um, Ricky sweeps an obvious one. Um, be struggling after that though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, you know, I, I, I can appreciate a good smooth coated dog, but the ones that I appreciate the most are almost like the way that they work is what I think. Is a throwback towards a rough coated style, so they're they're, they're working with the way that they want to balance. They want to hold things, not not these that just kind of you give it a flank and it's already at the other side of the field. Or you know, I, I can't stand them sort of dogs. It, it, it's effective if you know what you're doing, but I, it's not. You know, if, if you were trying to push 500 sheep through a field and they get to a gate and you've got a dog that just boom 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 then you're going to stop the corners, but you're not going to affect anything at the other side. And and they keep, you know, square flanks and too much give. And yeah, I don't, yeah, I'll say, it, it, don't get me wrong, there are rough coated ones that are just as bad. <laughs> but I, yeah, I pref yeah, I don't know. It's it just, you know, if you don't like a dog when you first see it, yeah. you're going to, you're going to struggle to like it when it's working. It's just yeah. one of them things. And that's, yeah, I say you know, I've seen plenty of good smooth coated dogs that have won a lot, but personally, I haven't liked them. Rough coated yeah. as well, probably. Um, but you know, just my personal preference is that there is a bit of bit of coat to them because 
Like when when I got Todd, um, I never saw him till I got him, and my it was by Elodie's Roy, which was smooth coated, uh, and the mother was uh, a dog, well a bit a bitch that had bred a dog that I liked, but I didn't like the father of it, so I thought I'll have a pup out of that because obviously there's something in the bitch that came out in the dog because I didn't like the father of the dog that I liked, so I thought well Elodie's Roy's pretty good i'll have one of them my only stipulation was it was rough coated and that's that's what came um and yeah he, he came when he was six seven weeks old because it was just the end of lambing time and yeah he did he did all right beautiful and you work cattle and sheep you said before no i don't work you don't work your dogs on the cattle you just got them there yeah righto yeah we have them but i yep. They are, uh, we buy the the cows, we buy them at a dairy farm, so they're like a dairy cross, Angus mainly, uh, so they don't see a dog when they're a calf, so they don't know a dog, and I don't want my dogs being damaged by a cow running a roughshod over the top of them. Yeah. So they will, Max will work cows, um, and I have kind of, I kind of tentatively tried to, Trained me bully neffers a little bit, but then thought, no, nah, it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's fair enough too, mate. Mate, what, um, to get you out to where you are today, mate, what's one or, one or two of the most influential dogs or the inf most influential dog you think that you learned the most about? Um, of my own? Yeah. Um, Probably um, Monty, because um, if I hadn't had Monty, uh, like Monty was Moss's son, and Moss was a hell of a good dog, and like serious, he could do anything. I remember Supreme, he got third in, uh, there was a dog went up the outrun, it went up like an absolute rocket, got there in 30 seconds, 45 seconds or whatever, and Moss was old by that age, and he was a little bit arthritic, so he was a bit slower. And he got there in like a minute and a half, maybe. Uh, and then this other fast dog was there behind him, and he was just everywhere, making him try to get him moving and fetching him down the fetch. And by the time he got to the turnback post, I was a minute ahead of that dog because he just yeah, got right. behind, tucked in, and just brought him. There was no flanks; there was just he was fetching him, and that was it. Um, and if I'd have had them the other way round, Monty then. Uh, yeah, Mon if Monty was Moss's dad, then I would have, I think, been more successful with Moss because of Monty taught me stuff that then I could use with Moss. But Moss was nearly retired by the time I got Monty, so, it just, you know, a little bit bit late. Um, yeah, so, yeah, probably with my own dogs, it would be Monty. Yeah, okay. Beautiful. How important is natural cast for you? Uh, probably quite important because, well, I don't know actually because I say saying about Monty, when I was training him, I've got a field and it's kind of flat at the top and then the, it drops off to the left and there's a lot of rushes and rocks and... Uh, 
and on the right there's a track and it's just flat so it's an easy right right hand out run they just go along the track and they're there and on the left it was yeah it was too far to go down to the bottom wall and follow it so i spent quite a bit of time with him on the left hand out run holding him in um and he he actually ended up with a like a perfect pear-shaped outrun on the left yeah but he always got a little bit wider on the right and i don't know whether it's because of the field that i was training him in because i tried to make him gather you know not not hit the bottom wall you know it, it wasn't a wide field it may be 200 yards wide at the, at the most but at the top where you stood to gather it you're 40 yards from the wall and 150 yards from the bottom wall yeah top wall it didn't matter that he went quite square but on the left if he went really square then it was just yeah it was just wrong um yeah i don't know because generally when i take a pup to sheep it usually ends up with five sheep in five different corners and <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it goes badly and and like the the bitch uh made when i was training her i was struggling really struggling to get an outrun on her couldn't for love and money couldn't do it uh, and I thought, well, I've been trying for ages, ages. I thought, I'm just, it's not happening. I thought, oh, bugger it. I'm going to start teaching her to drive. So I thought, right, took her in, off she went, she drove, flanked inside, outside, every flank, perfect. That'll do, back to me, sent her on her outrun, and it was spot on. Yeah, right. Before that, she'd go and she'd cross underneath them and come, and, and you know, she'd go so far and then just come right underneath them figure of eight and come to me but once i'd driven them with her she'd come back to me and i set her off and she just went straight around right around the right way and didn't do figure of eight and i have no idea i cannot it was completely wrong to start teaching her to drive before she'd outrun but for her for some reason it just worked it worked yeah yeah i wouldn't try it again <laughs> <laughs> And you mentioned before you like a dog that comes forward a lot, right? And everyone's got a different um, idea of what feel is to them. How, yeah. how do you explain feel on stock for yourself? Uh, I think they've got to uh, evaluate what's in front of them and, and not work out the distance they can be because obviously all flocks of sheep are slightly different some you have to be right under their asses and some you have to be 50 yards back and they'll still respond in exactly the same way so i think somehow the dog has to understand where it needs to be without being told if it can um and yeah and, and just yeah have the, the 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 feel is the knowing the distance sort of thing that, it, that they need to be yeah spot on mate i like that i like that idea so uh, we just got, we got a stack of questions here. We're just trying to siphon through at the moment. They're a bit all over the shop as well. Do you want to go that right. one? Yeah, Rick Freeman's asked, what method would you use to make a dog's walk in straighter and slower if you think it's a bit too zigzaggy and rushed at times? Uh, I would probably stop it and just walk backwards. Yep. And not, not give it a command until it's moving. Um and if it if it has a habit of zigzagging one way first, uh, almost give it the opposite flank and then stop it straight away or half stop it if you like. Because like with my commands, I've got two 
lie downs almost, and one is lie down and the other is steady. Um, and they're, they're not exactly the same, but they're quite similar. So when they get, if they if they come in and they want to zigzag, then if you if they want to zigzag off to the left, then give it a slight right flank and then a steady, and then it hopefully will come direct at them. Uh, the the bitch that my daughter has, she's she's a little bit like that in that you tell her to walk and she'll kind of just set off to the left before she comes into them. Uh, whereas if you do it. Uh, but you don't just, yeah, as long as you manage to stop her before she starts flanking, she'll come onto them. But if you let her flank, then she'll go so far and then come onto them. Um, yeah, so it, it's getting the half stop or a stop and, and walking backwards. Because if you start walking backwards, then naturally, eventually, once if the sheep will follow you, then eventually the dog will want to follow them. And, and if and if and if it is so also if it's so like I said about Gwyn putting down rather than lie down on him, if it associates your walk current walk on command with well zigzag, change the walk on command. Do it, yeah. do it, do it. But if your command is walk, then say steady. When it does it right, so it, it can it, it'll take the walk will mean come and do this, but the steady will just mean just come forwards. Yeah, makes oh, sense. Yeah. Um, question here from Peter Bauer. Um, hi, Michael. How do you teach correct distance on flanks when your dog is driving away from you? I don't like flanks. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not. A, I'm not a big fan of wide flanks. Uh, generally, when I'm working and even driving. The, the dry the flank is almost a walk on but on that side to push them that way a bit if you yeah. you know so it's not yeah uh if i wanted to widen the flank out then i probably would like do a, a recall and and then give the flank just to break the uh focus off the sheep just for a second because if they're if they're a very high sort of dog and focus then when you give them a flank and they just kind of go yeah we'll go like that quickly whereas if you just kind of break them then they're more likely to peel off sideways yeah beautiful uh question here from john bradshaw sorry eyes um how do you get a lion dog flanking freely around the shedding ring and is the pen or is sorry how do you get a lion dog flanking freely around the shedding ring and the pen or is this not an issue uh for me it's not an issue i i prefer them to move slowly um you know the, particularly when you sh when you're shedding um i was you know when i'm shedding I, I can remember the the year i got moss into the team nobody could get near the sheep at yeah. all the shedding ring you were just you were one of the, the sheep were in the middle if you were at the side and the dog was at the other side nobody you know you walk towards them and they just feel the pinch and they'd go anyway i've had a reasonable run with moss not an amazing one but a reasonable one i got into the shedding ring and and i was working away and working away and then all of a sudden it dawned on me how close i was to him and how close the dog was to him as well and because of the way that he worked and he was just come in gently and I work similarly to my to the to the dog to get myself close then there are 
generally in the right place when you want them as well. You know, you, if you've got a, a wide flanking dog when you're shedding, I always, you know, you can you can see the gap that the dog's got to come. And if the sheep are desperate to get back together, if there's a big gap that the dog's got to come, then it's got to come quick and it's got to come with meaning. Whereas if you're a bit closer, then... And it doesn't always come off when they've got to come a long way either. Whereas when you're closer, it'll, you know, the dog's there and everything's just... Yeah, and then, and then at the pen... Yeah, because... Because the, if the dog will take the weight a bit more, they almost don't have to flank around at the pen as well. You know, they, they'll come and they'll fetch them and they'll cover the side that they need to with enough pressure that the sheep will kind of go, mm, should I? No, I'll not bother. It's, it's, it's got me beat already, so almost. Won't take him on. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Beautiful. Question here from Nick Hovey. What is your opinion on a run whistle? Do you use one and would you suggest to put one, what would you suggest to put one on an older established dog? Uh, you mean like a plastic a or metal whistle? Run. Like a straight, instead of an out run where they break out sideways and cast, mm -hmm. he's talking about a straight run. Right. Uh, I've never seen one of them in my life, so I don't know. <laughs> I can't really say That's anything cool. for them. That's all good. That's all right. I've seen it. He asked um, Rob Cox that question. And mm -hmm. Rob, Rob used it. He said um, it was like an older thing that people used to use. Sorry, so um, Nick's asked that a, a while ago to one of our um, other guys over here in Australia. And yeah. Um, yeah. That, I remember um, Rob saying that it's not really used as commonly now as it used to be, but it used to be used commonly, like especially like just to go find stock, just give a right. whistle, just send the dog straight, and then yeah. just get them to go out, on, whether it be scent or vision or whatever. They pick out around them, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's not, not, not anything I've ever seen or heard yeah, of. Yeah, new, new party trick for you to work out for your mates over there. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get Ricky to start doing it with his dogs at the national first. <laughs> <laughs> but there's another question here from Rick Freeman um, What's the most frequent mistake you see with beginner handlers and their dogs? Uh, not stopping them well enough thinking that once it's stopped that that's it not being quick enough with the stop as well um you know you have to if you have to ask them three times to lie down and the third one you go lie down and then you go a bit more lie down and then the third one you go lie down the third one's the one you should have done first a few times because then it'll realize no hang on I'm, no it's not the third one it's the first one uh, and then once you've got a good stop on it, then generally speaking, everything else gets easier because um, they know that you've got the command on them then. Yep. And, and he's got another question here, mate, uh, and basically he's asking, um, with your, your more experienced, like your top handlers, why do you think they can get more out of some dogs than other people can or than a more inexperienced person can? Uh, experience, yep. uh, um, being able to read both the dog and the stock they're working yep. to a point that they're, they're like, um, you know, if you if you're able to read the stock and the dog, then you're almost got a couple of point advantage over somebody who 
hasn't got that experience. But you only get that experience by doing it, by working with stock and working with dogs. Because, you know, there are times that you, you can see something's going to happen and then it's happened and then they, then somebody reacts to try and correct it. But if they'd have done it a little sooner, then it might not have happened in the first place. Um, yeah, it's it's just just experience. And the, the, the thing with working with livestock is I don't know how many um, hobby handlers, as we call them over here, you have over there that don't work stock or haven't worked stock. Working stock, you can't learn it when you're an adult like you can as a child. You learn. I, I think I learned so much about reading livestock when I was a child before I even knew anything about anything. You know, just the the little things that you do, the little movements or not movements, little steps, little anything that you do affects the way that the livestock work react to you. And yeah, you 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 can't replicate what your brain can pick up before it realizes it is as an adult. I don't think. I think it's a hard, very people who come to it are later in life, trialing later in life, and, and are a success at it. That have never worked stock are uh, just amazing that they can do it. You know, yeah. the, the, there are people who I who I know grew up with stock, and they can do anything with a dog. But if you don't have the dog there, they don't know what they're doing with the stock. Yep. And it's just, it's, you know, and I know that they did, did grow up with stock, but then had a different job and then came back to working dogs later. And they can do most things when they've got a dog fairly pretty well. But when they haven't got a dog, like when you're letting sheep out, generally in nurseries in particular, we don't use dogs to let sheep out unless we really have to. Because, you know, with new dogs, new experience away from home, another dog, they might go and play with it or whatever. So we don't tend to. So you have to kind of, work out where you need to be, how you need to react to the sheep. And some some people just can't do it, but then they'll go up the other end with a dog and win the trial. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good yeah. Uh, Lisa Brax has asked, I purchased a green broke bitch nine months ago. Domestically, she's a dream. On our sheep, she has great cover and eye. Um, in a smaller yard, she has a great stop and sides and pretty good distance. Only now, in a bit of bigger paddock, she blocks me out. She often trembles and is anxious before working sheep. Any suggestions on what I can try to do uh, relating to, hang to her anxiety in the bigger paddock? Um, she doesn't want to let the sheep get away. Yeah, maybe, maybe just go into a corner and just work them so, so that you're facing into the corner so the sheep are there and they can't get anywhere. And, and, and almost, if you do, you know, <clears throat> work on roughly the size of your small paddock you've been working in, but just towards the corner, and then just keep going back 10 yards every day or something or 10 yards a week or however you feel the dog feels comfortable with it if, if it works in the first place, you know. Difficult to say without seeing uh, some things, how, how you might react to it. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, what's your one there? Oh, we'll get back here, mate. Um, you mentioned that um, you bred a couple of pups. Do you breed many pups? No, maybe one litter a year. 
Yeah, normally for yourself when, when you're looking for something else coming through? Yeah, yeah. I, I, if I bring a letter, I'll always keep one, yeah. Yeah. And no, what are you, when you're doing that or when you think about it, are you thinking about, are you thinking about like what you're going to get out of your future do- joinings or are you just going, oh, that's a good dog, that's a good bitch or you, you have a bitch and you go, oh, I'm looking for this and then look for a, a sire accordingly? Um, I have to have a long coat. <laughs> Sorry? Don't have, have a long a coat, coat first. Yeah. yeah, a rough coat first. Yeah, yeah. We've got to have a rough coat to start with. Uh, <laughs> And then, no, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I just, if I like the look of a dog, then I'll, I'll use it because I like it. Um, yeah. I don't really go into the too, too, too deep. Like I, I know that like there are certain lines that will match well. Uh, like the first letter I had off made was by Todd uh, and they turned out quite well. So then the next letter I had was by a son of Aladoin's Bob. And Todd was a grandson of Aladoin's Bob. And then I used Todd again. And then I used uh, a completely different one uh, in grit because there was none of Aladoin's Bob in there. Um, and I don't think further back there was. But I can't, you know, if I find something that matches, then I might try and keep that line, if you like, to for a couple of meetings, if it works, seems to work. Yeah. Um, yeah, but not. No, I just if I like the look of a dog, and uh, and I have a bitch that I think's worth breeding off. That's you know, ninety percent of breeding is is the bitch. You know, it never get never gets the blame for a good one, but it always yeah. gets the blame for a bad one. But if you have a bitch that'll breed, it doesn't matter where you take it. I don't think you could take it anywhere, and you you know you'd get something that was passable at the very least. Like the maid bitch, she's. She's just a tremendous breeder for me. Unbelievable. Um, the first letter, there were four out, the, four out of nine ran at the National. Uh, second letter, there was one that ran at the National. Uh, third letter, there weren't any, but then the, the, the great letter, there's, there's one that will run in the National this time again. And, you know, out of the nine, the first letter of na- that she had was nine. Uh I think there was one that never worked and the rest were all really good work dogs at the very least. So four out of eight that worked ended up running at the national. Pretty good odds. Yeah. And and she just, yeah, she just, I don't know why, you know, she's, she's been a brilliant bitch at home, um, but she just had a little bit of a temperamental issue away from home. But other than that, she's been, you know, she was my go-to dog for work. If I had something I needed to shift and, she'd be the one I'd take because I knew she'd do it. Um, and yeah, she just, I don't know. It just, yeah. If you, if you, if you, if you're lucky enough to get on a bitch that will breed to anything, then it makes you look a genius. And if you have one that won't, yeah. then it makes you look an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> but you always hear about size, right? But no one's ever goes, oh, that bitch has produced so many, so many good dogs or bitches. Yeah. Out of yeah. No. no, it's, it's always about sires and, and not only that, who owns them. Yep. There's a Absolutely. lot of um, a lot of sires that are uh, used a lot because yep. of the owner rather than the quality yeah, of like the dog. Who's driving it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but you opened that conversation with, with something really interesting. You said if the bitch is worth breeding from, 
What what makes a bitch worth breeding from for yourself? Um, oh, I've, I've got to like it. Um, you know, it's just, like some 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 really really good dogs have come from non-working bitches, and you know, it's, there's no hard and fast rule really. Um, yeah, it's it, it difficult. I don't I don't know because, like you know. There was one that was litter mate to Ricky's jock that went over to Ireland and, and it's bred quite a lot of trial winning dogs, not just work dogs, but trial winning dogs. And, and you're almost like, well, it never worked. It would kind of play with them when it was little, but then you couldn't train it and it just wouldn't let you. And you're like, how, how, why? <laughs> Where did they come from? This, like, but then you go back to the puppydom of the bitch. Did something happen in that that didn't that, that wasn't noticed that put it off wanting to work stock, you know, or something like that? You know, it's nature and nurture. You know, I had a conversation with somebody a while ago about breeding, and uh, generally speaking, if I've had a good one out of a litter, I won't go back and use that same dog again. Yeah, why is because, that? Because if you've had the good one already then the chances of getting another good one from that same mating are probably exactly the same but your expectations are higher yeah your expectations are higher when you start taking it out and you go right well when i was taking this one out which is now <laughs> national dog or international dog or whatever you go it did this now why is this one not doing that and you'll try and make it do it. You might not try and make it do it, but you'll always be thinking, it's not doing as well as that other one that was, we say, exactly the same way bred. So you're putting the pressure on to try and emulate the previous exactly the same way bred dog when you don't just know exactly how the, uh, when it was growing up, what happened. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That one, the one that turned out brilliant might have escaped every day for a week, taught itself so much on stock that you couldn't teach it. And this other one might never have got to stock the same way. And because of that, it might not end up the same. You know, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. I just, it's not, well, yeah, you, you put added pressure on yourself as well. Yeah. You know, like, there was a letter around here and there was, Two out of the litter, and they were national standard and international, even well trial was one of them. And the second litter that they had, exactly the same way bred, the best one was a decent novice dog, and that was it. And they were exactly the same bitch, same dog, everything the same. First litter, one got to the world trial final, one was a really, really good working bitch, ran at the national quite a few times. Second litter, I don't think anything turned out apart from that one that was a, a novice sort of dog. Was it because expectations were high for the previous letter? Yeah. Might have been. Might just have been a freak coincidence. I don't know. You know, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, breeding. It's 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 hard enough. We out try to make theories up like I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, mate. Mate, um, while we're talking about young dogs, what what age do you start a pup, and how do you go about doing that? Um. 
It depends on the dog. Uh, years ago, I had one, and it didn't look at like any any stock till it was eighteen months old at all. It wouldn't, just wouldn't. And I went around on the quad bike, looking round, and it just followed the motorbike. It didn't bother anything. And one day, I went through a field with some cows in. It went Whoa, cows, chased them around, and then it just went with sheep, and it would work them. And it was like pretty much fully trained in two or three months. Uh, Todd was fully trained. I ran him in his first open at 13 months and got a prize in it. Uh, I had a son of his and Maid, which was similar, about 13 months. Maid was about 13 months when she started at trials. But they're an exception, generally speaking. I wouldn't, you know. Trouble with taking them too young, that I find anyway, is if they're going nicely, you can put a bit too much pressure on too soon. And yeah. I know I, I know I do it. I know I do. I go I go into a field with a young dog and I'll be like, right, you do this, do that, do that, do that. And then I'll think, right, well, you're doing them well, so I'll just, just put a little bit more pressure on them and see whether you can get you doing this instead or that or whatever. And then I'll come out of the field and I'll think, oh, shit, why did I do that? That's a bit too much for the stage and age and what have you. But then I'll think to myself, but it took it. It, it didn't bother it. It carried on and it was good. And, and yeah, so, you know... There aren't, yeah, I don't, I don't have any hard, fast rules. I'll show them to sheep a few times when they're young and then uh, usually, depending on work, depend, you know, depends on how much time I can get to get them out. Last few dogs I've had, I've actually got somebody else to start them for me and then they're sensible enough for me to just take out and, uh, and, and just work away at actually training them rather than the basic left, right, stop, little outruns and everything. Just while we're on that, Daniel Lenzo has asked, what are a few things you like to see in a dog before it reaches 12 months old? Um, a rough coat. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> rough. <laughs> uh, just, just a nice nature, really. I'm not, you know, just, yeah. Um, if they're a nice nature, then you can... You can work away with whatever you've got if it, if it wants to help you, wants to please you, and and is just a general nice dog to have around. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really want to see too much because I always I, I've never if if I've thought something of a dog when they're really young, generally speaking, they don't turn out like I think they might do. If the and I don't know whether that's just uh, whether that's anything to do with them starting early, uh, or starting to try and train them early, or whether it's just one of them things that you know. Whether you know, I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's because I don't want to take them too much to sheep too much, and then not have time to take them as much. Because if you take them to sheep and then don't show them sheep for a few months, then they might think, oh shit, he didn't want me to chase them sheep round. So he's not letting me near him again. So then next time you take them, when they're, you know, if you show them at six months and then you take them at 12 months next time, they might be like, well, am I allowed to? Because last time I went near them, you didn't take me near him for six months, you know? Yeah. I, I, I don't have any hard, fast rules. I'll just, yeah, work on what time I have available to do it and, and uh, yeah, put, put time in when I can. You mentioned before about... Um dogs escaping and chasing sheep and teaching themselves things um yeah. what do you do if you have a dog that you know gets out and goes and finds stock how do you handle the situation 
Uh, start with, I buy a better kennel. <laughs> uh, I don't... It's a difficult one because obviously when they've escaped, they're uh, yeah, they've, they've uh, got out and they're desperate to work, and you don't want to put them off, do you? So I'd probably try and, if I could, make things a little bit more sensible, and then um, have a bit of training, if you like, yeah. in a more controlled manner, and then try and catch them because I do have to catch them. I can't call them off because they don't do that when they're at sheep when I take them. Yeah, I had one years ago that. I could just, I walked in field and it went round the sheep and I went, that'll do. And I walked away and it just came with me. And I said to dad, I said, I don't know what's going on here. I said, you've never <laughs> in my life before. Usually you get, you know, they might have a good recall away from sheep. But once you're on sheep for the first few times, I don't, I don't like a dog that will just go, oh, all right, then let's go. Yeah. It just seems alien to me that they yeah. want to. <laughs> what is your ideal training setup, mate? Uh, nothing that I've got here. Yeah. Uh, the main fields that I've got, uh, there's one that I'm just looking out onto, and it's uh, not not really steep, but it's up a hill. And the far side, there's a gully where it drops round down really steep, and has a stream at the side of it. Uh, yeah, every field around here, there's holes and humps and hollers, and, uh, and the sheep. I bought, bought some Hebridean and them little black ones with horns that you'll see occasionally. Bought some of them a few years ago, and uh, they were the smartest breeder sheep I've ever seen in my life. They were just—they were really nice when you got them around your feet. They would just behave themselves, but the second that you didn't have control of them, they were gone. So I'd, the, this field I'm on about—it's just a nice, a gentle rise up, and then the far side it drops away. So you'd leave the sheep, you'd walk down the hill a bit to teach an outrun, lay your dog down, turn around, send it away around the back of them. But the second you took two yards too far away from the sheep and they knew they could get over that far side into the gully, they were gone. You could do nothing <laughs> about it. If you were close enough, they'd wait because they knew that what was going on. But the second they knew they could get away, they were gone because they knew that once they were out of sight and down behind the stream behind next to the wall that a young dog couldn't get them out and then you had to start again with an old dog to get them into the right spot. No, sure, none of the fields that I have are ideal. Every every farm I drive past over here has a nice little square paddock next to the buildings, <laughs> yeah. and mine doesn't. <laughs> On that, how do you go about teaching your outrun, mate? Uh, I will use natural obstacles in the field sometimes, like if there's a patch of rushes or something like that, I'll position myself so that they have to go around the outside of it to get to the sheep. Um yeah, the, yeah, I'm, I'm probably guilty of trying to stretch them too far, too fast at times. Uh, yeah, like the, this field that I say about it, on the right hand outrun, you, if you go halfway up, it kind of it's got a bit of a uh, track almost down into the bottom of the gully, so you can use that to try and teach them to go right around the whole field. So you go halfway up, leave them led at the bottom, go halfway up, and then give them the right hand, and they go and they get to the top and they want to stop along the top of the hill, but then you just move yourself and get them to go down the bottom sooner. And then after you've done it two or three times, next time you go in the field and you set them off, they just know to go right around the whole thing. Um, yeah. And, yeah. So I'll use natural obstacles and, um, yeah, and make sure that I'm between the sheep and the dog before they set, get set off just so that I can 
make sure they behave and keep a bit of distance on them. And what kind of action do you prefer, like casting action or shape? Um, ideally pair, but I'm not... Um, like when I'm when I'm judging, you know, if people say, "Oh, well, you know, this, that, and the other," but when I'm judging, I kind of I work on the theory that I'm not there to tell you how to train your dog at home. I'm there to judge what it does on the day. So as long as it isn't square or behind, if it goes like ten, twenty yards square and then starts looking up the field, then I'm. I, I'll be all right with that. But if it goes 50 yards before it starts looking up the field, then I might take a point or two. Or even if it goes straight from your feet at a perfect pair, then I, you know, I wouldn't take anything for that either. But um, yeah, it's it, it, personal preference. It depends what fields you've got as well. Cause you know, when you, when you're in, so some fields you'll set your dog off and it'll need to go right around the whole perimeter to find everything. And other fields you'll set them off and you'll be able to see there's nothing behind you. So you can send it and it can go in a pear shape to the top of the field and, and just find the sheep that you want. But yeah, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's a difficult one to quantify with a 100% answer because yeah. you never know, you know, when you're going to work, you never know where the sheep are going to be. So you, set them up accordingly sort of thing yeah and, and you mentioned as long as it's not backwards so you mean like yeah. backwards running back home or running like uh, well, not, yeah well, well I'll, i might as well get this one out of the way what well, most embarrassing moment at a national for me i qualified a young dog drove down to the national which was down in devon so like a a little hop skip and a jump for you but about seven hours driving for me um and i got there uh, everything was fine and went out to the post and I set my dog off and they had a habit of just going a little bit wide. Oh, I'll leave him to it. So it was like a 600 yard outrun plus it was massive. Um, and uh, I thought I'll just, I'll, I'll let him go where he wants to go and then I'll go up the field and then I'll redirect him further up rather than doing anything. So anyway, he set off and he peeled backwards a little bit and then he just went even squarer and straight over and judging into the judges enclosure and that was that. Disqualified <laughs> me by default, basically. It was uh, not ideal, um, but yeah, no, not not yeah. So, like square behind you, or even like forty-five degrees behind yeah. you. I just yeah. they have to kind of be thinking about going up the field, even if they do go a little bit square to start with. Maybe you just wanted a pat. Never know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so, yeah. He ended up with a pat anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Will Hogan's asked, what technique do you use to get a tight dog to work stock wider? Uh, a rattle. I get a bottle, like a Coke bottle, put some stones in it. Yeah. Uh, and I either put it on the end of a stick or a piece of alcathene or something so it's further away from me and use it as a rattle. And then the reason why I do that, I have been laughed at for it, but... The reason why I do that is because then the rattle is making a loud noise, but it's not your voice doing it. So they don't associate your voice with being told off quite the same. So you can use the rattle to shake and, and make them go, oh, what? Without them associating it with you quite so much. So when you do put commands on, they don't start thinking, well, I've got that voice. I recognize that voice. It was telling me off a minute ago. I better not do this or... 
you know, trying to, uh, yeah, not knowing that you're trying to do something with it and they might want to beat you, if you know what I mean, if they think yeah. they have that. I've seen a similar thing done with like a plastic shopping bag on the end of a stick. Yeah. 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 I suppose that's probably a little bit more visual than the rattle, but still giving the noise off as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like even like um, one person who I know I've seen him and he has two pieces of alkathene and then he has um, like a two and a half litre dosing bottle from sheep and he puts a little bolt through and bolts it to it and then he, he just uses them like he's bringing planes in basically. He just he put his arms out and up and you know, <laughs> use them as an extension of himself. Yeah, he won't, he won't use them. He won't have anything in them, I don't think, because I've never heard him rattle or out. But he'll just use them as barriers because of the because of the size of them. You know, they'll be like that sort of yeah. size, flat white bottles. So when he holds them out, the dog can see them. Yeah. Well, you know, you watch American baseball movies and they have those big hands. Yeah. Just hold a couple of those. Yeah. <laughs> A couple of them on the end of a stick, yeah. And then a big long like the natural. So you've got a few generations of um, dog trainers and trialers. How long have you been trialing for? Um, nearly 30 years. So you started pretty young then? Uh, yeah, I was 12, I think, when I did my first nursery season. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, I had a few years in my early 20s where I kind of lost a little bit of mojo for it. Uh, I hadn't got the dogs, couldn't be bothered. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, it's pretty much constant ever since. And, and what do you get out of it, mate? What's your satisfaction? Or what keeps you motivated now, I suppose? Um, just what it's show me dogs off really and show that they're yeah. capable of doing things that yeah i don't know it's it's, it's yeah it's the, it's the competition element of it like i'm a little bit strange in that um i'm not that bothered with normal trials opens and what have you i can't motivate myself like i can at a national uh, and like all year, I can go for all year with a few prizes, hardly any. Uh, but then when I go to a national, I'm, my mindset's completely different somehow. I don't really entirely understand it myself, but um, yeah, like Ricky or Ricky Hutchison will have said a few times about me that generally speaking, people who get in the team regularly are getting prizes and winning regularly. But then you've got Michael. <laughs> and he, he'll get, get in the team regularly, but yeah. every week, he's not really getting that. Um, and I don't really, you know, I don't really, yeah, if something starts going wrong at a trial, then I just kind of go, oh, fuck it. Never mind. I'll just go and have a bit of, a, bit of banter and, and then head home and try yeah. again next week. And that'll be about it. Whereas, at a national, obviously, you, you've only got the one chance at a national, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit, little bit strange with it. It's um, yeah, not not normal, and I fully appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, what's normal, mate? Exactly, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and 
you, you mentioned there that you, you know you like to show your dogs off, right, and get out, and, and that's cool. That's real cool. And sometimes we hear those debates. Well, we hear them over here, you know, that um, trial dogs don't make real work dogs, right? What? Yeah. Surely you guys hear that. What, what's your take on that? Um. Yeah. No. No, I just. I have at the moment here on the farm. I have seven collies. One's just a year old. Two are uh, about two year old. One, one the bitch that I nurseried, and the other is my daughter's. Uh, I have another one that's coming up about twenty, twenty two months old. And then my two open dogs, and the two open dogs are the only ones that are fully trained. Like entirely fully trained. So if I don't use them, then they're not going to do a lot. I'm, oh, I'm not. I'm not going to get a lot done if I don't use them. Um, no, they they've got to be able to do both. Because if they don't, I always think a, a a dog that that works as well as trialing always has more nouse, bit a bit better ability to do what you need it to when you need it to. Because it's it's been there, it's done it. It's had the experience of working fifty sheep, hundred sheep, whatever, and and it, and it knows the little intricacies of what it needs to do at any given moment without needing to be told. Almost, um, yeah. I just yeah, like training wise, I, I don't really once they're fully trained, I don't train them. I just take them to work, and that's about it. Even rightly or wrongly even just before a national i might take them out and do a little bit of shedding practice but that'll be about it um just to try and sharpen them up if i think they need it and if i take them out and i think they're sharp enough shedding then i'll i'll just keep working them and that'll be it i'll not be yeah i don't i don't have a set pattern of training once they're older that i, that I have to do it all the time or anything yeah uh, very cool do you want to go that one yeah question here from lance clifford I've noticed that in your trials, when penning the sheep, the handler places his dog and tends to move round with the rope and crook to hunt the sheep into the pen. Um, whereas in Australia, we take a position and let the dog pen the sheep. When working in a trial in Canada in the late 80s, um, Lance said he stood and let the dog put the sheep in the pen and felt this was a better way as um, he felt when the handler is trying to push the sheep into the pen, it was causing the sheep to put more pressure on the dog. What's your opinion, please? Uh, I think it's a partnership and, you know, if you have to stand back to do it, stand back to do it. If it's, you know, whichever way works, um, you know, if, if you're uh, confident, if you stand back, you can pen them with a the dog. You know, it's yeah, it, it, if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then it's, you know, it's, it's each individual handler's choice on how to try and do it, you know. There's some dogs are really good at penning and can do it naturally, and others you can't. They don't have the natural, just you know, that little bit of not moving but moving almost, yep. keeping things settled. Um, years ago, I uh, just remembered I had a dog uh, and I went to a few trials and she wasn't running very well, and I couldn't work out why. And then after a few days, I realized I don't, when I'm training them. I don't take anything into the field with me. I don't take a crook or anything. So I left my crook in the car. And the sheep, it was a, a nursery, and the sheep were quite lively. Uh, and I went out, and uh, somebody said to me, Dad, 
this is, this is when I was like 19, 20 maybe. Somebody said to me, Dad, he's not got a stick. He's never going to pen these sheep. He's not got a stick. We're all going to hear it. So anyway, I had a run round and I, don't, I can't remember what sort of run I had got to the pen and she worked away better than when I had had a stick and they went straight in. Yeah. And, you know, it was just the dog knew where to be, what to do, how to do it. Um, yeah, I yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's a partnership. At the end of the day, all, the whole way around the trial is a partnership. So, yeah. you know, to me, the pen and the shed and every every bit of it, as much as I like to see the dog doing a lot, it's still a partnership and you still have to work together to do what you need to do um, at any part of it. So, I, yeah, I don't see any problem with either standing back if you feel you need to or coming forward and helping the dog if you need to as well. Beautiful. Love the way you answer that, mate. And uh, we have mentioned nationals the first time today. Do you have a favourite trial to participate in or one that you um, seem to do well or one that you'd even like to that you may not have? Um, the national, no matter what field it is, I just enjoy <laughs> going to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, I've just... I, I just, you know, you go and you have a bit of chat and, you know, see people you don't see all the time because obviously, you know, it's not a big country, but it's big enough for me to not want to travel from one end to the other. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so you, see, you know, see people that you don't see all the time. And, uh, yeah, hopefully, usually it's in summer as well when the weather's marginally better over here as well. So, yeah. <laughs> And any advice to someone um, going to purchase their first dog or pup? Um, make sure it's one you like from the start. If you don't like it from the start, then you're always on a bit of a downward struggle, of really. Uh, yeah, you know, if you, particularly when you, if you're picking a pup, you've got to like it from the start because if you don't i say if you don't then you're always going to be looking at it and thinking well yeah i like this bit but i don't know whether i like that bit if you don't like it then you're never going to get the best out of it um then every luckily everyone's taste is different so every pup has somebody who likes it so yes and then, then if you were buying an older dog or a trained dog then yeah it depends on your budget and all sorts of other things as to what what you would want to look for in in, a, in an older dog. I don't know. It'd be it's a difficult one because I don't tend. Well, I haven't. The two that I'm going to run at the national next week are uh, both bought in, but the first two that I've had to buy uh, that I've bought in, most of them are what I've either bred or trained at least myself anyway. So here we go. Michael Longton's got a litter of pups here. They're all rough coats. How does he pick his pup? Oh, uh, badly, badly, badly. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, the good thing about having kids is that they <laughs> they can take that decision out of your hands quite quickly. Um, yeah. No. I just like the last litter I had. Uh, I kind of ended up keeping one by default. Uh, Actually, yeah, I ended up keeping one by default because it, 
they've got to four or five weeks old and they weren't just quite right and I ended up taking them to the vet and they couldn't figure it out and I lost lost a couple of them and then the third one was starting to look really bad and I ended up sending a sample of poo away and they got found out what it was so I managed to sort it out but then I obviously ended up keeping that because I didn't want to sell somebody something that might have been potentially having vet problems for its lifetime sort of thing so I ended up selling Max as a pup instead of this bitch um so Max is the one that I should have kept, the one that yeah. I, the one that I'm running at the national. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. It just it all depends, you know. All sorts of different reasons why you might pick one or the other, and nine times out of ten, you're wrong anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> at least if kids pick it, I can blame them. You know. Yeah. <laughs> is there anyone you'd like to see sit down on dog talk and have a chat with? I think I agree with Ricky and Sergio. It'll be quite interesting. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Very cool. I'll uh, reach out to Sergio. We already have and have a chat, Sergio. And uh, see if we can get him on. He said he'd actually be keen to have a chat, so we'll have to organise that. Yeah, no, he would. Uh, yeah, he'd be, he'd be. He's very keen on dogs. Probably, awesome. probably last a lot longer than Ricky's conversation did with you. <laughs> Yeah, awesome. Thanks, mate. And mate, was there a question that stood out to you tonight? And uh, that viewer uh, will win a bag of Enduro Plus or Enduro uh, Working Dog Food. Uh, you know, I thought I thought to myself before we started, I should get a pen and paper and write them down as you do them. <laughs> so I, I can't really remember who asked what or what questions were much. Is there any question like just the question I can work out who it was? Uh. Oh, I can't. Shout some out to me and I'll remember one. Um, getting stock to work wider. There's one about trialling, um, flanking, uh, green broken dog, um, getting it anxious, that's anxious in the paddock. Uh, the one about the straight run. Um, what do you like to see in a dog before it's 12 months old? Yeah. Uh, that one, the 12, 12 months old one. Oh, congratulations, Daniel Lenzo. Uh, I've got your details, mate. So another batch of Enduro coming your way. So I, think, I think he did he not get two with Ricky as well. Yeah, he's done all right there as well, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a hit with our international guests. Right. Right. So, a lifetime fly before long. Yeah, that's the guy. But you're not going to get off that easy, mate. Um, you've still got one question uh, to answer. And you have, I don't know if you have actually heard of – actually, you did listen to the Ricky one, so you know what – you might know the question coming up. Yeah. Would you rather so. fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? Uh, I would have to go with a duck the size of a horse because I just don't like horses. Yeah. <laughs> Great answer. Why don't you like horses, mate? Oh, they just make a mess. Yeah. Oh, I thought we're going to get some childhood story yeah. coming out here. <laughs> no, I've never had hope to do with horses apart from one period in my life. You can feed way more dogs than you can horses, mate. You can what, sorry? You can feed more dogs than you can horses with the same money in your pocket. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that. And you don't have to, yeah, and the vet, vet fees are generally cheaper as well. Very yep, true. That's for sure. Mate, thank you very much for your time tonight. Um, no. or this morning for yourself. Really appreciate it. 
not a problem. Our listeners, um, people asking questions. It's great to see so many jump on board um, week to week. So thank you again. All right. Thank you, everyone. Um, hope you have a great day. And please remember we learn every day and the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks.